first reading is Daniel 7, 13 to 14. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is everlasting, his, his dominion is everlasting that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. And the second reading is Matthew eight, eighteen to twenty two. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. The word of the Lord. Well, it's good to be sure about what you're signing up for, isn't it? Um, There's a certain hobby farmer I know, let's call him Ben Chapman, because that's his name. He's not here to tell me off. Um, He got pretty excited. He went on an auction site and there was a, a company selling a bunch of stuff. He got excited about all the things, all the bits and bobs he could get for his farm. And he ordered what he thought he was ordering, three sort of shackle bolts. Turns out he'd ordered three cases of shackle bolts. And instead of three, he ended up with about a thousand of them. So it's good to be sure about what you're signing up for. You can laugh at that, but how many of us have clicked on a website or something you agree to the terms and conditions? All of us. How many have actually read the terms and conditions? Uh, I've got a, qu- a quote for you from a news story eight years ago. The biggest line on the internet is, I have read and agreed the terms and conditions, say security expert Miko Hippinen. Set out to prove his, setting out to prove his point, his company set up a free Wi-Fi hotspot in the heart of London's financial district in 2014. Buried in the terms and conditions of the free network was a Herod clause. In exchange for the Wi-Fi, the recipient agreed to assign their firstborn child to us for the duration of eternity. (laughs) Six people signed up. He said, we have yet to enforce our rights under the terms and conditions, but as this is an experiment, we'll return the children to their parents. It's good to be sure about what you're signing up for. But what about in following Jesus? So Jesus has come along in Matthew's gospel, and his basic message is, repent, give up life living for you, turn around and come and trust in me, follow me with your life to enter God's kingdom. What exactly are we signing up for, letting ourselves in for? If we do that, what are the terms and conditions? And we'll see through Jesus' interactions with these two blokes today. But with Jesus, there are no hidden clauses. There's no surprising fine print. He lays out the terms and conditions really clearly. He's given us, if you like, the product disclosure statement so we can be really clear what's involved when he says, follow me. 
So two headings, there's an outline in your leaflet if you like that kind of thing. Hold off a minute and don't delay. Hold off a minute, don't delay. Delay. So the first man then, he tells to just sort of hang on a minute. Hang on a minute because he's underestimated what it is he's signing up for. Verse 19. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. So let's work out who this man is, first of all. Presumably he's a disciple, because the next bloke is called another disciple. So he's not one of the 12 apostles, but he is, I don't know, a keen being who's taken time out from his day job to follow Jesus around. Uh, Matthew calls him a teacher of the law or a scribe. And just that tells us something, because Matthew only ever uses that title of people who aren't true believers in Jesus. And in the rest of Matthew's gospel, the only ones who call Jesus teacher, like this man does, are those who don't truly believe in him and mostly are actually opposed to him. So there's a warning sign with him being called teacher of the law and him calling Jesus teacher. So it's a bit like um, the, him calling Jesus teacher. It's a bit like when I left my secular job as a radiographer and was going to Bible college, people on the whole were pleased for me. But I could see them trying to sort of conceptually quarantine what I was going to do into a sort of safe space. So they'd say things like, oh, you're going to do kind of counseling, sort of social worky kind of things, aren't you? Nothing of that Jesus stuff, you know. Calling Jesus teacher here, he's being non-committal about Jesus. Is there anything other than the latest popular religious teacher? And Jesus is popular at this moment in the gospel, so popular the crowd is too large and he wants to go to the side of the lake. But let's give this guy the benefit of the doubt that he's genuinely impressed with Jesus, that he's recognized his authority to some extent, he's seen his impact and he's got caught up in the buzz of the crowd. So he wants to be part of it. You can see history's in the making and he wants in. But Jesus wants him to know what he's letting himself in for. Verse 20, Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Now, when you hear foxes and birds, don't think cute Disney animals. If, like the crowd, you depend on locally sourced food, often producing it yourself, well, Jesus is naming two key pests, isn't he? If you're trying to keep animals or grow crops, well, a fox or a bird could threaten your ability to feed your family. So it's like he, for us, I don't know, maybe talking about termites, but more than that. So foxes and birds, hold that in your head, pests. And then son of man is what Jesus most commonly calls himself. And in calling himself that, he's claiming to be the one Daniel saw in his vision that Robin's just read for us. So let's look at that again. It's just two verses. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days, that's God, and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and people of every language worshipped him. He was treated as God. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. 
It's a vision of God's true king, God's son, entitled to inherit all heaven and earth, to rule forever. So son of God, God's king, contrasting himself with lowly pests. And Jesus is saying he's given up his rights to heaven. More than that, he's given up his human rights. Even more than that, he's given up his animal rights. You know, he's got less rights than pest animals. A fox has got a secure home. A bird has got a place to, to return to. The son of man hasn't got anywhere to lay his head. God's heavenly king, Jesus, has given up those rights, given up the glory and honor and privilege that is rightly his in order to rescue us into God's kingdom. That's how important it is to God that we get to be part of his kingdom. We get to enjoy his rule. That's how much he loves us. John 3.16 in the um, Christian Sandal Bible version puts it like this. For God loved the world in this way. God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that any, everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Imagine um, over morning tea, you read the information, you sign up to sponsor a compassion child. But then you get home and you look through the terms and conditions and it says you've just signed up to swap your own child with that child in poverty for a year, maybe two years. Or there's an, alter so, okay, there's an alternative clause. You can go and swap places with their parents. Imagine what that would be like. Imagine what it was for God to give up his own son, for Jesus to be in on that plan, both all-knowing, God, Father, Son, and Spirit, all-knowing what he would have to go through. This is a very different kind of king, bringing a very different kind of kingdom to what the one the scribes got in mind. To follow Jesus, we need to understand the kind of king we're following and so the kind of kingdom that we're getting into. Jesus will say later in Matthew 10, you will be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Jesus is showing us that he's got no human marks of success, all the things people normally strive for, material security, worldly power and influence. Um, there's nothing about Jesus' appearance that will make people think he's significant. His kingdom is not made of anything that people usually think of as winning. But instead we have eternal life, forgiveness, Joy that's not based on circumstances. Peace that passes understanding, beginning now and completed in eternity. Uh, one thing we think about as a church um, to help us grow, as, insofar as it's up to us, is how do we welcome people in well? How do we make it as straightforward as possible um, and encourage you to go from calling us a church or your church, just calling us my church, become part of the family. How do, we do, how do we welcome people in? Well, should we take some top tips from Jesus? Here's Jesus' welcoming pep talk. Feral animals are going to be better off than God's king, so expect a rough ride. 
I mean, is Jesus trying to put us off? Well, notice he doesn't actually turn this man away. He just tells him the terms and conditions. He wants him to know what he's letting himself in for. And if being in the kingdom of God, being restored into right relationship with him, is worth the son of man choosing to go this way of suffering, well, it must be worth it. How valuable must it be? So what does this man need to do? What do we need to do? Two things. We need to count the cost and we need to count the cost. So first of all, we need to count the cost of following Jesus. We need to know the terms and conditions. In Matthew 16, uh, then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. We must be prepared to go through what looks to this world like losing popularity, wealth, leisure, self-determination, power, influence, comfort. In all of those departments, we can expect to be worse off for following Jesus. So why bother? Well, we also need to count the cost of not following Jesus. To come to his feet and trust in him it's the only way to enter the kingdom of God. To have a place at the table of his heavenly banquet, a place of pure joy, no tears, no suffering, no evil. And the cost of not being there, Jesus describes as outer darkness, where there's wailing and gnashing of teeth. It's picture language, but it doesn't sound good. So count the cost, but also count the cost. So for Christians, as we follow Jesus, we need to keep checking that we haven't let worldly ideas of what a successful life is creep in and take over our priorities. Because from, from the moment we leave here today, the world is trying to disciple us to follow its ways, to make anything except Jesus more important in our life. We don't live in a vacuum. Living for Jesus is going to make life harder often, but it's worth it. So worth it that Jesus gave up heaven for a cross so that we could have it. So that's the first chap. Jesus says, hold off a moment, hang on a minute to him. To this next bloke, he says, don't delay. Verse 21. Another disciple said to him, Lord, let me, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Now, this book, it seems like a reasonable request, doesn't it? Let me bury my dad. And Jesus seems a bit insensitive, perhaps. What's going on? Well, the law is clear. If this man's father had just died, he would he'd be at home in a period of mourning and making the funeral arrangements. There's no way he'd be out, on, out with the crowds listening to the latest teacher. And we know that's where Jesus would want him to be, because later Jesus criticizes the Pharisees for wheedling their way out of properly honoring their parents. So Jesus would think that this man should be at home honoring dad if he'd just died. So this disciple isn't saying, my dad's just died. I'll come back in a week after the funeral. It's not like he's asking for compassionate leave from work. 
No, what he's saying is, once this whole phase of my life is done, up to me becoming the head of the household probably, once I've tied up all my loose ends, and I can be sure there's no pushback from the family for following you, once I've probably sorted my inheritance out, then I'll come. So he's trying to introduce his own terms and conditions, his own clauses into the contract. I will follow, but only after this date and only under these conditions. So what about you? Have you got any terms and conditions that you need fulfilling before you'll give yourself over to Jesus? Or maybe you've got something you snuck into the small print, a clause that says, Jesus, you can have most of me, but this one little bit here, this habit, this desire, this money, this relationship, that's mine. Maybe you've even forgotten you put that clause in, but that's how you find yourself living life. Well, have a look at Jesus. Look at who he is, what he's done for you, how much he loves you. You can trust him with all of it. In the long run, you won't lose out. He gives us life, life to the full, true life that lasts forever. In the here and now and in eternity. I've heard this illustrated with Frankenstein's monster. Frankenstein's monster. So if you picture Boris Karloff, you know, the big square head. What's scary about Frankenstein's monster? Well, he's made up of parts, different parts that are dead. And all he needs is just a jolt to bring him to life. When as Christians we find ourselves feeling like we're missing out, feeling like God's not looking after us, What's really bothering us is that we've held on to those things that we want for ourselves, career, family, wealth, influence, and in and of themselves, those things aren't bad things. Nothing wrong with wanting to do well at work, to be a good family member, all of that. But when we hang on to them as our idols, as our ultimate things, when we make them what life is ultimately all about rather than Jesus, what we're doing is building the life out of those dead things and asking God to give them a jolt, to give us a power-up to fulfill our own dreams. Whatever it is we're holding back from Jesus, whatever it is we feel we need to sort out first before we'll fully commit, well, that's our idol. That's the thing we're trusting in to save us, trusting in to make life okay. But the trouble is, those things on their own don't deliver. So Barry Humphreys, uh, Dame Edna Everidge, died this weekend. This, in it more pleases the title of his autobiography. Um, and he writes that these two words, more please, were his first coherent utterance. He went on to say, I've always wanted more. I've never had enough milk or money or socks or sex or holidays, or first editions, or solitude, or gramophone records, or free meals, or real friends, or guiltless pleasure, or neckties, or applause, or unquestioning love, or persimmons. Of course, I've always had more than my share of most of these commodities, but it always left me 
with a vague feeling of unfulfillment. Where was the rest? The great irony is when we hand those things over to Jesus, when we live those things out in his name, his way, for him, they're more fulfilling and we do better. I was interviewed here for a year 11 rave, religious and education values, religious and values education. That's it. And he's go back to school. And Marty Fox, the chaplain, he asked me, what would you say to these young people as they're starting to get invited to parties and start drinking alcohol? He hadn't teamed me up this question. I thought, what do I say? So I said, well, I said, what's true of, of all areas of life, that God made us to enjoy his creation. He made creation for us to enjoy it, to glorify him. God invented fun. He expects us to have it. It's not a surprise that we came up with the idea of alcohol to God. But if we do all of that in his framework, listen to what he's got to say about how to enjoy his creation, then we'll have more fun. We'll have more long-term enjoyment and we'll avoid messing things up for ourselves. But we don't naturally go for something hard and difficult unless we're convinced it's worthwhile. And even then, we'll put it off until we feel we really need to do something about it. But Jesus' reply gets across that making a decision about him is urgent and important. Urgent and important. And Jesus keeps doing this throughout the gospel, keeps pointing out that you can't sit on the fence, keeps making it one way or the other. So far, he's talked about the wide gate to destruction and the narrow gate to life. True disciples and false disciples, the wise builder and the foolish builder, those invited to heaven's banquet, those thrown outside into the darkness, life and death, life and death. That's why he says to the man, let the dead bury their own dead. Those obeying Jesus' words to repent and believe in him, spiritually alive, made clean in his kingdom. Those going their own way, spiritually dead. Lots of things in life are important and seem urgent, but none of them are more important and more urgent than our standing before God. And there's only Jesus we can trust in to sort that out. It's like packing up the car for a two-week camping trip. What do you put in the boot first? The biggest, most important things probably, isn't it? The tent, your clothes. If you fill the boot with lots of small extras first, well, the danger is you won't have room for what's really important. So what is it for you? What's stopping you follow Jesus? What's crowding him out, putting you in danger of leaving him behind on the drive altogether? Whatever those things are, just let it go. Trust him with it urgently. None of us know how long we've got. And all of us are much better off, hard as it will be, causing us to suffer as it will. All of us are still better off with Jesus in control now and so much more so in eternity. God thought you being in his kingdom was so important he sent Jesus to die in your place so that you can enter it, to rescue you from outer darkness.
His kingdom is so much more than this world, but the world won't like you for living for it. So we have signed up for a life of hardship, but it's still the best life there is, still the best terms and conditions to live under, a life of eternal significance and security. So count the cost of following Jesus and remember the cost of not following him. Whatever is your, but first I just need to, whatever it's holding you back, let it go. Don't let it be an idol. Don't let anything delay you trusting Jesus with it. It's not worth it. It's not more important. You'll do better with it under Jesus' rule. And remember grace. Remember the man with leprosy who simply knelt before Jesus, asked and was made clean. Remember the centurion who simply trusted and his servant was healed. If you feel like you haven't got the strength and resolve to follow Jesus when it's tough, Remember, Jesus' promises were not alone. Ask God, ask, seek, and knock, and God will help you as he loves to. Or maybe you feel like you've failed too much to be a follower of Jesus. Maybe you feel like you've failed too much already. Remember, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Jesus has done it all. Jesus has done everything you need. So, are you sure about what you've signed up for in following Jesus, in trusting him with your life, all of it? Count the cost of following him. It's a harder life in the short term, but count the cost of not following him. In the end, that's the costliest thing there is. Follow him without delay. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus' clarity and what it costs to follow him, and but what it costs to not follow him too. Please help us to endure this life where it's harder often to be a disciple of Jesus than not. Help us keep our eyes fixed on, on heaven, on our reward in eternity, and on the truth of following Jesus, and give us the strength to do that even today. Amen.